Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Super Bowl is Sunday. It's perfect time to head out to the WGK Law Guest Hotline. John Eisenberg, longtime Baltimore sports columnist, author. His book, Rocket Man, is available wherever books are sold. Rocket Man, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. And John joins us now. John, thank you so much for joining us. Let, let's start with an African-American quarterback that Ravens fans know well, and that's Lamar Jackson, who is going to win his second MVP at the age of 27, but seemingly can't get over the hump in the postseason. Well, he's the last chapter in my book. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he certainly is is just uh, – and Patrick Mahomes is the next to last chapter. What those guys are doing in the modern narrative of the black quarterback is a whole lot different than uh, these guys stand on the shoulders of a, a lot of generations of guys who couldn't get on the field uh, because of, uh, you know, a variety of reasons, which I get into in the book. But with Lamar, I mean, you know, I mean, there's no doubt he's he, – he is he – is, is etching an incredible career, but sure, you, he, he is not the first quarterback to fall short of making it to the Super Bowl. He's what, 20, how old is he? 27? 27. Yeah, so, you know, you, you keep trying. I mean, uh, I don't think John Elway made it until he was in it. Well, he made it, he lost. Yeah. Uh, can't believe he didn't win one until his 30s. So uh, there, there's, uh, there's no straight line here. Uh, you know, uh, you, you just keep trying, and uh, – it's unfortunate for Lamar. It really is because I I think he's good enough to get there. It just hasn't happened. We, we're living in some interesting times here, my friend. Obviously, where people you know where I guess we're post post truth to some degree, and people don't want to admit that the sky is blue and this or that. We're allegedly post racial to some people. So, as you were researching this, like. Did you find that people, especially those well-connected with the league, kind of wanted to whitewash this? Like, Wyman and I are old enough to remember Doug Williams yes. winning a Super Bowl, how big that was. Like, Warren Moon, who clearly was a generational talent the entirety of his career, having to go to the Edmonton Eskimos and prove something there. Like, how, how reticent were certain people to sort of acknowledge this complicated history, if at all? Well, definitely there were some. This is my eleventh book, and I've done quite a bit of pro football history lately. And I, you know, some go-to guys were kind of like, eh, "I think I'll sit this one uh-huh, out." You know, uh-huh. I mean, you know, uh, that was, and it's understandable, and and uh, to some degree. So you have to sort of do your own digging. But uh, that that is why I wrote it. I mean, you know, what you exactly said were supposedly post truth. I mean, this is something that happened. This happened. I mean, and, and it's a, there, black quarterbacks could not get on the field in the NFL because 
you know, very honestly here, too many decision makers in the league weren't mm-hmm. sure if they were smart enough, period. That yeah. was it, uh, you know, and you would be shocked how, how, how into recent history uh, that was the case. And, and so, you know, I don't know that it's, that it's conscious or it's unconscious, uh, you know, racism, but, but uh, it, in some cases I really hesitate to paint with a broad brush. Uh, with certain people. But uh, yes, I mean, uh, people are definitely reticent to talk about this. Of course, it's all changed in the last five or seven years. So it's a, it's a lot easier to talk about now. And fast forward to today, John, I mean, the Ravens, their quarterback room this year was the first time in history in all black quarterback room with it's Lamar crazy. Jackson, yeah. Tyler Huntley, Josh Johnson, Malik Cunningham. I mean, that, that's extremely significant. Very significant, and they 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 trumpeted it on on social media as well. They should. Uh, that that I mean, the Ravens. Towards the end of my research, I came across uh, a guy in Chicago, a historian who who had gone down this rabbit hole and had quantified everything that I was working on, team by team, year by year, hmm. almost snap by snap. Which teams? Which teams have really been? Uh, willing to go with black quarterbacks and, and, and which ones have been have not. And certainly the Ravens from the get-go in 96, I mean, they were drafting guys, they were putting guys on the field. And, well, you know, it's no secret. I mean, Ozzie Newsom is your general manager, the first black general manager right. in NFL history. You have different eyeballs looking at it, you get a different story. So uh, the, that's, that's certainly the case there. And other teams have, have also been really progressive on that front, the Eagles or something. And some other teams, but uh, it was really interesting to find that. But the Ravens, from the beginning, have been have been really, really progressive on this story. Talking to John Eisenberg, it's Inside Access here on the Fan. I'm curious, selfishly, because growing up, the Colts moved. I was an Eagles fan, so I watched the entirety of Randall Cunningham's career, and I feel like he was a little ahead of his time. If he showed up now, he'd probably be a superstar. Where does he factor into this equation? Well, he's the the first generation of guys. Or Randall is definitely a pioneer. And really, it's those three guys in the 80s. You mentioned Warren Moon, Randall Cunningham is the other, and Doug Williams winning the Super Bowl. Those three guys, what's really shocking is, uh, is uh, as I found out when I was researching this, before them, there's like virtually nothing. And, and then after them, you start to see a, a, an increasing amount of black quarterbacks in the league. And those were the guys that changed the narrative, uh, that came into the league and started playing and started winning and making great plays. And just sort of that old uh, sort of uh, dogma about what black quarterbacks supposedly couldn't do. They, they just proved it wrong. And, uh, and so they were the ones, and Randall Cunningham certainly was one who played quarterback like no one had ever seen. Yep. And, yeah, if he were here today, there's tons of guys. If they were playing in today's football with the RPOs and the ability to throw on the run and all that stuff, I mean, look out. I mean, you could, you could go back into the 70s and guys like Condridge Holloway played, played at the University of Tennessee and wound up having to go to Canada. Uh, you know, today's football, a lot of these guys would be really, really good, but they didn't, you know, a lot of them didn't even get a chance. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, we'll, we'll never know, like, Satchel Page against Ted Williams, right? Like, in their prime, what that could have been. Like, we'll, we'll never know how many of these tremendous quarterbacks could have thrived at the NFL level because the racism was so systemic that by middle school or high school, right, they're already getting moved to other positions. And certainly by college, a lot of them have been told, you've got to be a running back, you've got to be a corner, you've got to be a receiver. Like, they didn't have a whole lot of say in it. So it's almost like we'll never really know, right? 
totally. There, there's what's really that's an interesting part that you bring up. The part of the story that uh, you know the guys that changed positions, uh, and some of them did it early. Ozzie Newsom's one of them. He was a quarterback in like middle school, and he tells this story that uh, he's he's going to tryouts in like eighth grade. And uh, there's a line for tight ends and a line for quarterbacks. And he's like, he looked ahead. He said, I know what was going on. I, nice. I went to the receivers. Uh, Anquan Bolden, who was a great Raven, he was an outstanding high school quarterback. That at Florida State, he wasn't going to play quarterback, so he became a receiver. So there, there's tons of guys that just creeps all into the story. There's lots of people with that in their background. John Eisenberg, the book is Rocket Men, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. John, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, great to be with you guys. Take care. Thanks thank so much. Uh, you can get that book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, etc. Uh, Northern Exposure coming up next. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have a new offensive coordinator here from Arthur Smith. And we'll get update on the Browns offseason. GM Andrew Barry spoke. We hear from them. Northern Exposure next here on The Fan. Inside Access. So write whatever y'all want. The same guys that you guys ranked as 45th. You buried us in May. Bury us again. We don't care. We'll get back to work. Thank you. <laughs> wow. That's Arthur Smith, who is now the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they could have found a, a more flattering picture when they announced it. But... I call him the split. You know why? Why? He goes seven and ten every year. <laughs> you like that one? I do like that one. But I just thought of that. He is not the head coach. I do like that. Uh, he's he the, did go seven and ten every yeah, year. Yeah, he does. The split. Just, Modern day Jeff Fisher. He's amazing. What what do you think of the hire? Hmm. Uh what do you think of him? Like, some people might want to try to give him credit for Derrick Henry in Tennessee, but <laughs> what? Uh, that's you know the all, split. Yeah, so you want to give him credit for latter day Ryan Tannehill? Yeah. You give the split credit for that, but the two thousand yard rusher? Yeah, I am just saying. Um, what do I think of it? I, well, he certainly couldn't head coach for me. That's for damn sure. Uh, I I don't mind it. Um, I do wonder if it's a precursor. To something else at the quarterback position. Like, I don't know that you get Arthur Smith and feel like he's going to turn Kenny Pickett into this next level thing. I just wonder if you get Arthur Smith because, like, Arthur Smith can run the ball, can run the ball with multiplicity. Like, they had a tight end they took in the top 10, they had a receiver they Mm. took in the top end, they never got the damn ball. Now, partly it's because Arthur Smith couldn't do anything with Desmond Ritter and yeah. Shouldn't have wanted Desmond Ritter in the first place. No. Shouldn't have fought to keep Desmond no. Ritter. Like, shouldn't have signed Marcus Mariota as the backup one year. He was on that football Or Heineke show. the next year. Yeah. So I have issues there. But he wouldn't be picking personnel here because he's not the head coach. I wonder if you go get Arthur Smith as your OC early because maybe you want Justin Fields as your quarterback. Hmm. Maybe you want multiplicity in the run oh. game that way. Hmm. And you want, right, because... Originally, Arthur Smith was supposed to be with Mar- he was with Mariota the first time in Tennessee, right? And the goal was yeah. to f- to unlock Mariota, and then he ended up unlocking a, a, a downfield play action passing game with Tannehill because there was no unlocking to do with Mariota. So I I think like a lot of people are reading that a bunch of different ways. The way I read it is, no, I don't think he's coming there to fix Kenny Pickett. I don't think anybody's looking at Arthur Smith as a quarterback guru. 
I think they're looking at him as can he establish, could he work with a running quarterback like Justin Fields, and is that how we get this offense to take off? It is an interesting thought, and typically speaking, the Steelers don't make that type of splashy trade, splashy move. Omar Khan, of course, there now. But, Jason, how much urgency does this organization have to win? I mean, Art Rooney, their owner, talked a couple weeks ago saying, we're, we're done you know, we've had enough of this. They haven't won a playoff game since 2016. I'll say that again. They haven't won a playoff game since 2016, so maybe it necessitates a big move. Well, there's urge. I mean, there's definitely urgency. I mean, look, Tomlin has not gone outside of the innards of that organization for a coordinator very often, right? The answer has usually been within. So for him to make that move and to get someone who has head coaching experience and just like they like they don't love spending money there like that's just kind of the deal so you know yeah you're getting the offsets from the head coaching job but still like this is a guy who's is not an entry-level offensive coordinator that's for damn sure so yeah i think there's certainly some urgency and i think there'll be urgency to upgrade the quarterback room and i don't think that's you know oh well we got three good games out of mason rudolph so that's the answer like I think they're thinking a little bigger than that. Well, there. your opinion, does the 20th pick get it done, or would they have to sweeten? Like There, there were rumors. Oh, and I, I was, think the 20th pick would get it done. Do you? Really? Okay. For Fields? I do. That's just such a hard trade negotiation for me, like determining his value. I mean, it could be. I mean, look, it could be that plus something based on performance, that plus something based on, like, does he sign a long-term extension there? And also, like, who there's ways interested? to build contingencies. Well, I think the I think the Las Vegas Raiders will be interested. What if the Atlanta Falcons? I think the Atlanta Falcons should be would be interested. Like I gotta think Raheem Morris would look at that and say, "Yeah, we get Justin Fields right now. We're the best team in this division." Yeah. Let me paint a picture for you, please. If the Atlanta Falcons are willing to trade their one for Justin Fields, they pick eighth. The Steelers pick twentieth, so they're going to have to sweeten that pot a little bit. Well, I don't know that either one's coming out gangbusters thinking I have to give up my one. Like, I think they're probably thinking more like a two and a three, mm. which equals a one. Yeah. But especially a top ten, a, 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 you know, a, and to use an, a, an NBA term, a lottery pick one. Uh, yeah. I think that's probably a little steep because, you know, Justin Fields is going to want to be. This is deep. This was your three, it wasn't was, it? Yeah, so yeah. he's going to want a little something, something. Yeah. He's gonna if you're giving it. up that kind of whatever capital you give for him will be factored into his expectations financially. Absolutely. You'd rather not be giving up eighth overall. Um, but, yeah, and it, look, those are just teams that I'm, I am yeah, sort yeah. of have sure. a hunch on. There could certainly be more. Oh, let me ask you Like, this. if I'm Mike McDonald? Seattle? I w- you, do you want Geno or do you want Justin Fields? Everybody goes to Geno's. I was just there the other day. Yeah. Got a Geno Giant. Delish. Yeah, very good. That's a that's an unpaid-for endorsement. Yeah. That's just real-life yeah. facts. Your I did not go bowling with the seven ten split. No, I've never been bowling with Arthur. Yeah, but (laughs) I have no plans to. Overall, your odds of Justin Fields not being in Chicago. He's not going to be in Chicago. Okay, they're going to draft Caleb Williams, and he's going to be traded. Let's get to the Browns, and their off season has begun. It's been going on for a while. Andrew Barry, the GM of the Browns, how's Deshaun Watson progressing? Deshaun's progressing well. Oh, thank um, you. He's doing um, you know everything in his power in terms of rehab. Um, he's coming along well. Uh, 
we anticipate him being on a, a normal or potentially ahead of schedule time. I hesitate to say that um, because it still is early. But we're really pleased with his progress so far and, and certainly looking forward to, to getting him back when he comes in the spring. We talked about this when Joe Flacco was leading into the playoffs. This is Deshaun Watson's team next year. It's a, they, they've locked themselves into Watson because of the contract. Yeah, I mean, I just I do think like I I, I love the the sort of verbal gymnastics that will be going on here with them pretending like they're just totally okay with this as is, where they know a guy off the street making nothing who was literally making practice squad money until week eighteen. Like there was a point in time, remember we talked about on the show, like anybody could sign Joe Flacco yes. right now because these bozos haven't signed him to a real contract yet. He's still just floating off of, you know, between their active roster and their practice squad right now. He's technically a free agent. Um, but no, that, I mean, of course they're going to want to reconfigure some things. But here's the here's the great thing if you're Deshaun Watson. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You want to give me more upfront money, I'll take it. Yep. Like, I'll do that kind of restructure. But anything beyond that, I don't know. This is fully guaranteed. I'm good. Like, I like how this is coming to me. So... They're they're in a little bit of a jackpot there, um, and there's they spent a lot of money, and and so for the owner to be in a position to spend the way he has been spending, they are going to have to create a little bit of cap space. As much as they might want to deny it, it's it's probably got to start with the quarterback. Super Bowl week is here. When we call from mom, answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Come back. We'll talk to former GM, now author, National Football League. Talk with Michael Lombardi next here on The Fan. Before we get to our next guest, fifth caller right now, 410-583-1057. You win two tickets to see the Pixies and Modest Mouse on June 14th at Meriwether Post Pavilion. That's courtesy of Live Nation, 410-583-1057, how you get in and win. But let's head out to the WGK Law Guest Hotline right now. It is Super Bowl week, perfect time to be joined by former GM and author of the book, Football Done Right. It's Michael Lombardi. Michael, thank you as always for joining us. We haven't spoken to you since the AFC Championship game. Oh, man. Just curious, your thoughts on that that Ravens offensive game plan uh, against the Chiefs. I thought they lost the game on Tuesday and Wednesday when they planned it. I didn't understand it, you know. I mean, they run power on a fourth and one out of an unbalanced look and get 15 mm-hmm. yards. They come back the next play, run power again out of a regular look, get 15 yards, and then we never see them run the ball again. I, I have no idea. They made Lamar hold on to the football, try to throw it down the field. It was almost as if they were trying to win the game in two plays. 
And mm-hmm. as spite of, and as bad as they played, they had ample opportunity to get back into the game. I mean, they did. You know, I mean, Kansas City went eight drives without scoring. Uh, you know, that they adjusted the game plan early. They saw what Kansas City was going to do. I mean, they, I thought they played undisciplined. You know, the penalties on the two-minute drive killed them. It just wasn't what we saw out of the Ravens all year. And I, and I think, to me, it, it has to be one of the hardest losses in Raven history to deal with because it was all there for them, and they didn't play their game. They didn't even come close to playing their game. And look, you like and respect Harbs. I like and respect Harbs. But, like, when it's five days later and it's Friday now and Harbs is still trying to tell you that we couldn't run the ball because we're in two-minute and I'm like, you had the ball at midfield with 2.47 left, three timeouts, plus the two-minute warning. They're getting the ball to start the second half. All you need is 17 yards to get a field goal, right, to make it 14-10 at the half. And you're telling me that you couldn't run the ball there because it's two-minute. It's like, man, I, you know, I know I look like a moron, but I'm not a total moron. Well, I mean, I think the whole planning was wrong, right? I mean, they, you know, look, Buffalo, Buffalo had the ball the week before, 37 minutes. They had five drives of over 11 plays. They had three drives that resulted in 18 first downs. The last drive of the game was 16 plays. They went down the field. They missed the field goal. So don't tell me, like, Buffalo's plan was clearly way better than your plan, and you had better weapons. I mean, you know, they spent all that money for Odell Beckham, and what did they end up getting out of it? Nothing. I think, to me, the other thing is, you know, their offensive line got beat up in the game. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear. I mean, Ronnie Stanley is one of the highest-paid players on their team doesn't play very much, and when he does play, he doesn't contribute to the level that they need him to. And the right tackle, Morgan Moses, same thing. I mean, I, I think to me it was one of those you lost the game on Tuesday. Like, there's a certain way you got to play the game. And that, way, that game didn't go the way they needed it to, and I think that ultimately what cost them. Mike, you got a new book uh, out, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and the history of the NFL. You spent time with Bill Belichick in Cleveland and New England. Coaching vacancies are done. Are you surprised that Bill did not get a job, and do you think he catches uh, Shula's record? Well, I think a lot of what's going on is people want collaboration. I mean, that's the key word down in D.C. We want to collaborate, right? We want everybody involved. The problem is... When you have somebody of Belichick's intelligence or somebody like Mike Vrabel, you don't think you can collaborate because their knowledge and their presence is so dominating. And I think ultimately it's more of a reflection of your organization than it is the word collaboration. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons have won 21 games in the last three years. Rich McKay's been down there. He's been the consigliere to Arthur Blank since 2003. I mean, he listens to him on everything, whether he's in the building or not. And they just got freaked out because – they are going to lose their jobs. And I think at the end of the day, people end up guarding their desk in pro football more than they really want to win. That really becomes the case. Because don't tell me that you're better off not having – you're better off having Terry Fontenot and Rich McKay in your right. front office and Raheem Morris than you are bringing Belichick in. Like, there's no logic behind that. I don't really want to hear it. You can say some narrative like, well, he's out of style, out of touch. Uh, I don't think so. If you watch or talk to him, you can't. But, look, he interviewed with, with Arthur Blank, and after that interview, the front office spent all their time making sure that Blank was convinced yep. not to hire him. So I, I think, to me, it's going to take some owner who's not listening to people that really wants to win. And I think, I think people will come to their senses next year. How Mike Vrabel lost his job, I have no idea. <laughs> and how Mike Vrabel doesn't have a job, I have less of an idea.
We're talking to Mike Lombardi's Inside Access here on the fan. Uh, I'll admit I was wrong, Mike. I thought the Chiefs were dead this year, about week 12, week 13, and then they had to go on the road. They'd never go on the road in the playoffs before, but here they are back in the Super Bowl. Where does Andy Reid rank uh, in the Pantheon if they win this game on Sunday? I think this is one of his best coaching jobs because on Christmas Day, when he lost that game, when the, 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 the Las Vegas Raiders mm-hmm. had one complete pass after the first quarter, and he went home and had to eat his traductin or didn't eat his traductin and have to look at his team and say, what am I doing? You know, and lost the game. He decided to change who, who they were. Now, Pacheco runs the ball 21 times a game. During the regular season, he ran it 14. Mahomes still averages seven yards per, complete, per attempt. That's what he did in the regular season. But they're running the ball more. They're playing to the strength of their team, which is their defense. And they're finding their ways to be timely with the ball like they were against Buffalo. Had the ball for 22 minutes, scored 27 points. I think it's really a reflection of the, of the willingness to bury your ego. Look, Reed hates to run the ball. But what he hates more than running the ball is Colin is losing. So he changed his whole game plan. Mahomes getting rid of the ball. More rhythm throws. It caught Baltimore by surprise in the first two drives. And once Baltimore figured out, okay, this is how they want to play, they adapted to it. But it's a credit to Andy because that script, that beginning of the game, they've outscored their opponents. Of the 70 points they scored in the postseason, 46 of them have come in the first half. And that's a tribute to their game planning and knowing that they want to play from in front and they want to use the strength of their team, which is their defense. Can Kyle get over the hump here, um, Mike, or is this a tough matchup? Because obviously Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs is a tough matchup for anybody. And as you just noted, they, they can run the ball. They will run the ball. And San Francisco, especially if you run left on them, they, 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 can't, they can't stop it. Well, they, you won't see Chase Young over there. That's why they won't run left. I mean, because he didn't play the run. You know, he's been, a, he's been a thorn in their side since they traded for him. He hasn't played very well in spite of the, all the, the publicity and the media recognition. I mean, I think you'll see a different player lined up over there. They know they got to protect their edges in the run game. I think that's clearly the case. Look, I, I think Kyle's challenge is, if you're Kyle, you're saying to yourself, we haven't even played our A game and we're here. You know, we shouldn't right. beat Green Bay. We shouldn't, have beat, we shouldn't have beat the Lions and we're here. We got to have to play better. I think it really behooves Steve Wilkes to come up with a different style of plan. You know, do something different. If Andy Reid and Mahomes know you're going to be in quarters coverage, if he knows you're going to be in this, in this situation, they're going to tear you up. They're going to be like they were against Baltimore, 12, 11 for 11 on the first 11 throws. So you're going to have to do something different in the game. But this Niner team, the strength of their team is their defensive front, and that has not been the strength. No. Bosa has two sacks, that's it. Think about this. They gave up 4.1 yards per attempt and only 10 touchdowns rushing in the regular season. In the postseason, they've given up 5.6 yards per attempt and five touchdowns. If that doesn't change, we're going to crown the Chiefs a champion. And, Mike, if the Chiefs do end up becoming champions, first team to repeat since the Patriots in the 2000s, it would be Mahomes' third Super Bowl. 17 games in the postseason already. His numbers are off the charts. He's got a while to catch Brady, but from a talent perspective, where does Patrick Mahomes rank for you, quarterbacks? I think what he's done is exactly what Brady did. He's altered his, even though we know Brady's responsible for winning every Super Bowl for the Palachuk and the Brady uh, the, and the Patriots. I mean, if it wasn't for Brady, they wouldn't win. You read that on Twitter every day when they quote that. You know, even though the first Super Bowl Brady threw for 143, they right. ran for 142. The last Super Bowl they scored 13 points. So I think what Mahomes has done is exactly what Brady's done. He said, "Hey, 
I'm burying my ego. I'm going to do what it takes to win the game, and I'm going to play within the confines of our team this certain year. And that, does, that takes a ton, a ton of burying your ego and putting winning first. And I think that's what makes this kid so great. Mike, before I let you go, I do have to selfishly ask you about our Philadelphia 76ers and Embiid is no. hurt again. And, and oh, we're shocking. not. Homer Pyle would say, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. We're not allowed to have nice things, Mike. Well, I mean, look, I mean, they should. I've been saying this for years. I mean, why do we think he's not going to get hurt? He's never in shape. The national media won't say a bad word about him. I mean, he can't run up and down the court more than five times. I mean, he is a uniquely talented guy. But I got to tell you, I've been in personnel my whole life. 40 years I scouted players. I've never seen a talented player on the ground as much as him, especially a basketball player. Mm. Like the guy is on the ground all the time. He's always going to get hurt. Yeah, he scores 70 against an inferior opponent. But at some point, you get measured by championship. But this generation could care less about measuring yourself against championships. They just want the glory. They want the self. But teams that are in the Super Bowl or teams that get there, they care more about their team. Mahomes, he cares more about winning than glory. Embiid wanted to win the MVP. That was the most important thing in his career, and he did. Michael Lombardi, the book is Football Done Right. Always great. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Coming up next, we hit the hot corner. The Orioles have themselves an ace in Corbin Burns. What else could they do? We'll give you our thoughts next here on The Fan. Inside Access on The Fan. Inside Access to the Orioles. Brooks, Cal, it's the hot corner with Jason Ken. And Tim Barberlees. Sponsored by Home Life Roofing and Remodeling. 105.7 The Fan. Yeah, when I made that comment after the 2022 trade, I was talking about the team. And if you look at our record since that comment, I mean, we won 100 games last year and won the ALE. So, like, I, I feel like the team held up their end of the bargain on that. It's Mike Elias talking about what liftoff meant, and I guess in a sense he is correct. They they did lose in the postseason to the Rangers. Rangers went on to win the World Series. Now they have acquired an ace getting Corbin Burns last week for D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz and a draft pick. What else do you think this team could accomplish as far as trade or signings before the season? Well, I think we we need to now get our heads around the fact that like these aren't just words anymore. You know, these aren't just expressions. Liftoff. They they have made the type of penthouse move that had been unfathomable around here. I mean, since when? Like Duquette never did anything like this. No. Like Andrew Miller was his biggest like yeah, get, and, and that, that was, was deadline. Yes. And that was a reliever, not a starter. He signed Nelson Cruz in a ball. I'm over talking Menace. about I'm trying to think of like trades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like buy side trades where the guy you're getting back Para? is Andrew Miller. As a scion. Yeah, Andrew Miller would have and that was in that whole era, and then you had a whole long time before that where Lord knows they weren't buying anything. They got Jim Tomei once. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Gerardo Parra. Yeah, Gerardo Parra for nice. Zach Davies. That was great. Yeah, yeah. T- uh, Timmy Beckham, Beckham for uh, my guy. Your legend. What's his name? I forgot his name. Tobias. Uh, Tobias. Tobias. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it's it, we need to kind of get our heads around like this is a brave new world and a lot is possible. Um. And as we noted earlier in the show, and the MLB Pipeline Top 100 is coming out today. Like all, all of the industry publications still think this is the deepest and best 
farm system in, in America. Mm-hmm. So that's to say anything's possible. Yeah. Like, why couldn't they go back to the Brewers and get Devin Williams? Like, what are the Brewers? Like, why would the Brewers keep Willie Adamas and Devin Williams now? Like, why, 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 like really? They've uh, supposedly, according to the guy, the beat the guys that covered Major League Baseball, they've told teams Adamas is available. Yeah. So if you're doing that, then why are you holding on to a reliever, a guy mm-hmm. who's going to pitch? If you're not winning, he's not pitching much at all. So, like, why wouldn't Devin Williams be possible? Um, why wouldn't another starter, whether it be uh, somebody like Lorenzen or whether it be somebody again? I've got Lorenzen's a Brandon Woodruff. I've got a Brandon Woodruff fetish. Um, Lorenzen's interesting because he could be a swing guy. He could bullpen yeah. guy or starter, like that Austin Voth type guy. Yeah, but better. But better. Not maybe as one pitch reliant. Um, yeah, so there, there's things like that. Again, I don't think they're probably adding a bat at this point in time. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be exploring if Bellinger's market's a little softer. Can I touch on my fetish for a second? Please. You can. Uh, I I think that J.D. Martinez makes so much sense for this team, and I know it goes counter to a, wa- a lot of what they like, and, and, and I get it. Position flexibility, having no position. But I also think an argument should be made that like it was it was pretty evident in the short sample size postseason that they were there was a shock value to playing in the playoffs. It's a different ball game. This guy's been there, done that, and I think he could have the same effect on these guys as hitters as I think Corbin Burns will on pitchers. And and it's a one year deal and I don't think the money's gonna be ridiculous. I and he's thirty home runs and thirty doubles and hundred RBIs and you just write his name in the lineup. But couldn't you say a lot of those same things about Justin Turner and you could put him at third base once a week and you could put him at first base whenever you want? I don't know maybe, if the power numbers are the same, maybe, but sure. I mean, it's going to be. I mean, he, he, he's easy. And Camden Yards, I think he'd do a lot of damage. And that was, what, one year 13? Yeah. And he went to Toronto. So I just don't think that they're playing in the DH no, I hear only you. market. What about Jorge Soler? That's another one. I just think he'd be kind of DH only for them. Like, I don't know that they'd love him in the outfield. They have other options. They like more in the outfield. We know they already think they've got two center fields. Mm. So I, I don't see them signing. Like, I don't see them going that route unless it's somebody who they think could be a plus defender. And that's why I just keep saying Bellinger. Because even if Bellinger's not their best center fielder, he'd be their second best center fielder, yeah. and you put him in left field. <laughs> so, I, I, but obviously that money's probably going to be Blotto. And I yeah. guess at some point somebody will meet his number. And I doubt it's these guys, but I, I just think we need to now look at the prism of major league transactions in a way that we haven't around here in decades. Yes, decades. No, I completely agree, and and it's especially since John took over from Peter, that like yes. th- this is going to be a whole new world <laughs> when 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 David Rubenstein takes over this whole thing. Hey, coming up next. We've waited long enough. We need to touch on what we saw in East Lansing on Saturday evening. Maryland loses to Michigan State. We'll recap next here on The Fan. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 